Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 548th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me with other writers over at the uh, Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to American soccer as a whole. So... Get ready for that, and we're going to have some fun here tonight. Now, I have to say that, you know, in any sport in the United States, we have timeless stadiums and arenas that have stood the test of time, whether it be Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Fenway Park, in Boston, Massachusetts, or the major, lovely soccer stadiums, football stadiums, that are all over the world, either brand new or has been around for over a century. Obviously, it's tough to lose a friend that you visited so many times, depending on what season it is. Of course, even though it was remodeled, old Yankee Stadium still held its charm in the Bronx until the brand new one was built. And even though it's a mix of old and new, It's not as intimidating as it used to be in the old building. And then, of course, building new stadiums, getting rid of the old ones, where you go for that retro look, kind of like Oriole Park at Camden Yards, City Field looking like, let's be honest, Ebbets Field from the outside, and other ballparks that are out there. And Lambeau Field, you know, home of the Green Bay Packers, has been tremendous in how they were able to build not just from within, but how they were able to keep it as pristine as they could on the inside and meanwhile shiny on the outside. Comes to this intro monologue when we saw on ESPN FC's Twitter account, social media accounts as well, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, the grand stadium of all grand football stadiums in Buenos Aires, Argentina, at the home of Boca Juniors. La Bombonera. 
And the video is not pretty. The video from ESPNFC, which they obtained, shows a section in the upper deck. I don't know which section it is. I know it's behind one of the goals in the upper deck. The concrete is cracked severely. And it's jumping up and down with all of those fans swaying forwards and backwards. Some of you will probably say it's part of the atmosphere. You know what? I call that a lawsuit. And I'm not advocating that Boca Juniors now build a brand new stadium for themselves. I don't know how old La Bombonera is, but what I do know is that is one of the jewel soccer stadiums in Argentina and around the world. My hope is that Boca Juniors finds a way to re-pour some concrete in that upper deck. Because the truth of the matter is this. As loyal as those supporters are to the club, their safety is very, very important. I don't know when the current Argentine season ends, but once it does, or if the club has a good long road trip, either rope it off or if it hasn't completely gone haywire, pour some concrete there to keep it a part of the foundation. That's when I said to myself, that's a scary proposition. We all know how high up you will be as a Boca Junior supporter if you are attending a match. I'm not saying to shut it down. I'm not saying throw her away. All I'm saying is is that if you if if Boca Juniors wants to keep that crown jewel of soccer stadiums in South America, something has to be done. Either a temporary fix or they're just going to have to find a way to build a brand new ground. My hope it's only centralized in that one location. And I'll understand if they cannot find a new area or a new piece of land in Buenos Aires. But the truth is, someone's going to get killed. Someone's going to get hurt. And I don't want to see that happen to anyone, man, woman, or child. You want your supporters to remain alive. You know, when you talk about a jewel like La Bombonera, you have to talk about Wrigley Field in Chicago, Illinois, on the north side. 
and the stubbornness of the residents surrounding that historical baseball stadium. If you go to YouTube, type in Saving Wrigley Field. The Ricketts family purchased the Cubs from the Chicago Tribune, who has owned the Cubs for such a long, long time, and were held with tons of red tape from the neighborhood. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. They couldn't improve the ballpark. It had to remain as is. They had to sneak in the lights to stop with the light, with the day games, every single home game. So, you know, they wanted to keep baseball traditional in Wrigley Field in the northern end of Chicago. Problem was, concrete was falling. The concourses were too small for the amenities of today. New ballparks springing up, wider concourses, better facilities. As much of a ground jewel of baseball as Wrigley Field was, and it still is, it had to be improved. And if you watch that video, Saving Wrigley Field, as soon as they opened up the concrete, it's not just the rust of the support beams that keep the upper deck going, but if they did not fix what needed to be fixed, that upper deck would have fell into the lower bowl of Wrigley Field. And then what would you have said then as a Cubs fan? What would you have said? Why didn't they fix this? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Because the fans that are loyal to the Cubs did not want change. They kept blocking everything with the past ownership until the Ricketts family took over. But thankfully, Wrigley Field was saved. It's still the same stadium. But the concourses are now wider. The facilities have improved. There's more to do there now. And thank goodness for Wrigley Field remaining one of the crown jewels of baseball stadiums in the United States. But once again, this is why I am nervous and scared for La Bombonera. If there is any way Boca Juniors can save the stadium from falling apart, and it's probably definitely over 100 years old, maybe 150 years old, I don't know how old the stadium is. I just know that it's a crown jewel of the sport. Obviously, Highbury was changed from the Arsenal Stadium to now the Emirates in London, as well as White Hart Lane. Now you have the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, brand new. West Ham has their brand new stadium. You, you want to keep 
the stadiums that mean the most to that community, no matter what country they come from. I don't want to see Old Trafford destroyed and then you bring in a brand new stadium. I think what you try to do is try to build, replenish, rehab the old girl so that you can continue to have future generations, excuse me, future generations to say, this is my stadium. They can still say it when a brand new stadium is built. And even the brand new stadiums look fantastic. Being in Yankee Stadium for myself, the newer one, looks great. Even though I do miss the old stadium sometimes. But even remodeled, there was that one moment where a beam inside the upper deck fell into the mezzanine. Thankfully, this happened on an early afternoon where the Yankees were supposed to play a night game against the then L.A. Angels of Anaheim. That game got postponed. It got made up, but it was postponed. But one thing is for sure. The newer stadiums being built for the game here in our country, they look fantastic. And even though Columbus Crew Stadium is still up, Lower.com Field is a great upgrade for the Columbus Crew, especially being in that downtown location. We have stadiums, folks. Maybe not as ancient as La Bombonera, but we have stadiums. And it's looking really good, really solid. And so far, nothing bad has happened. But I do hope Boca Juniors understands what has been put out there on social media. And hopefully, hopefully, they understand what needs to be done. Well, ladies and gentlemen... I got a great show for you tonight. As we're going to have on Robert Hay. Talking about the return of Wayne Rooney as a manager for DC United. And then, of course, we have uh, the Red Bull segment talking about the 1-1 draw over in Cincinnati. But joining me to start off tonight's show, she covers LAFC for Switch the Pitch, the one and only Araceli Villanueva. Araceli, good evening, and how are you? Good evening. I'm doing well. How have you been? I've been very well. Things are going smoothly, and I am very excited to have our conversation tonight. Welsh international Gareth Bale, Italian international Giorgio Chiellini, is officially now with Los Angeles FC. And while it's nice to have Chiellini on the club, Gareth Bale is a steal of a transfer 
for Los Angeles Football Club and how they're going to incorporate him into this roster. I mean, neither player truly needs an introduction. I think it still feels like a dream for most supporters, including myself, to see them join the MLS, let alone LEFC. Don't don't get me wrong. This league has seen its fair share of European players, but there is just no comparison when it comes to these two, their, their talents on the field and the wisdom that they bring to the team. But in terms of, you know, how they're integrating them to the team, I think I've kind of already mentioned it in the sense of that Chiellini has been sharing his wisdom with the te- with uh, his new teammate. Uh, Gareth Bale just participated in his first training session this morning, and during the press conference he expressed, you know, of how interested he is in the club and how excited he is to get on the pitch and to not only show off his talents but to work with the team to try to achieve the club's goals in winning trophies and even the supporters' shield. No, absolutely. And at the moment, uh, your LAFC is in the uh, top spot for the shield. I believe they are at least four to seven points ahead of the New York Red Bulls, who are right now tied for first in the Eastern Conference with the Philadelphia Union. This union has a match in hand for this coming Wednesday. But, um, you know, Los Angeles... Well, LAFC has really brought back the swagger that they came in with when they first got started in the league. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like I've said a version of this on your show since practically the beginning now. LAFC, they continue to raise their level of competition. Of course, there's been some bumps in the road. We we won't really mention that, but... <laughs> <laughs> of, you know, like building their roster, they have definitely proven that they are serious about investing in players, uh, let alone trying to win trophies, all while, you know, developing uh, players' technical abilities. They've been a very strong, uh, um, excuse me, they've been a very strong opponent in that. And I only see great things coming out of this club. It's hard to imagine they've, they've been around for five years it feels a lot longer to be honest yep i agree with you there and uh, to see what the job they've done uh going from bob bradley to uh steve Chirundolo, the hall of famer uh managing this club coming from las vegas lights of usl championship he's really done a wonderful job of you know you know orchestrating uh, his tactics, they look really strong. They look really engaged. And it's great to see them not miss a beat going from Bob Bradley to Steve Trundolo. But I do have to ask you this, and we are going to talk about the little bumps in the road. Because, I mean, I don't want to be a, a negative Nancy or anything like that. But it, to me, it felt like Vela lost his friends in uh, Adama Diamande and Diego Rossi once they transferred out. And, I mean, you know, now he's reinvigorated with what they're going with right now. And now it looks like he's going to really have some fun with Gareth Bale and Chiellini uh, out there on the pitch. Do you sense that from Carlos Vela at all? Been on that leadership role in the last couple of seasons here. And I agree that. You know, as time go, goes on, unfortunately, we have lost players like Diego Rossi, 
uh, Diamande, Tristan Blackman. I mean, the list goes on. And it, when you look at the core uh, roster itself, um, Carlos Vela is the only original player left. Everyone else has been brought in one way or another. And as I mentioned, you know, he's definitely taken on that leadership role because when you speak with the new players like Ryan Hollingshead, um, Max May Crepu, they, they all say kind of the same sentiment in the sense that Carlos has really helped them um, not only get used to, like, the L.A. lifestyle, per se, but just the overall uh, club culture and teaching them about the supporters and it, just the overall culture of the club. No, I, I agree with you there, too. It's just amazing what they're able to do. And I also have to admit, uh, the kid Arango, my God, the goals he's scoring coming off the bench, sometimes he's a spot starter. He's been unbelievable getting into positions, timing his runs perfectly to beat the offside traps, and just finding ways to go out and defeating the goalkeepers every time he's got the ball, especially against uh, the Galaxy, which they finally got a victory over them after uh, the loss in uh, uh, Dignity Health Sports Park in both the Open Cup and in regular season play. Oh, yes. Christian Arango, or as we like to call him, Chicho sometimes, he is the number nine that every club wants. He's been outstanding this season, great performances. Obviously, there has been a game or two where he's been a little lackluster, but he's definitely made up for it with his goals. Um, I would need to double-check this, so please do not quote me on this. I believe he's at nine goals this season alone. And it, just watching him play on the field, he he really knows how to control the ball and connect well with that of, like, Ilya Sanchez. That connection is just outstanding. Now, just to go back to, to Gareth Bale for a moment, you know, the day he the day his contract expired at Real Madrid, was there any inkling that the rumors going around that he may come to MLS and he may come to LAFC? Because obviously, some people are probably thinking he'll remain in Europe. Uh, there was a report saying that DC United tried to bring him over. It didn't work. And then all of a sudden, bang, the back pages saw uh, Bale signing with LAFC. I mean, were you expecting this to happen? I don't think anyone was really expecting it to happen. But just the same, you know, feeling as with Giorgio Collini. There's always been kind of an inkling. But when you and I both know when it comes to rumors in this league, unfortunately, a lot of them do end up just becoming that, a rumor. So when it becomes official news, it's kind of like, wait, wait a second. Is this reality? Is this actually happening? Mm-hmm. So the, the pure fact that LEC was able to sign Tolini and Bale within almost a two-week period, and they're on, now on the verge of signing a third player who is rumored to be Baron Munich midfielder, Adrian Finn. Again, that is just a rumor. But it, it's just kind of almost mind-blowing in a sense because, like I said earlier, you know, we are used to seeing these top-notch players in MLS, but to actually have them on the field, it's like, it, it's actually happening. 
<laughs> well, the last time uh, a player like that got a big fanfare, and uh, or a bunch of players, I should say, uh, David Beckham went to the LA Galaxy from Real Madrid. Uh, Thierry Henry came to the New York Red Bulls from uh, Barcelona. Uh, you know, those were the big names back in the day. And they're still big names no matter what. David Beckham, of course, is a club owner now in Inter-Miami. And uh, Thierry Henry is doing television work for CBS for the UEFA Champions League. But still, though, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know if the – besides Bale, who's with LAFC, I don't know if Cristiano Ronaldo will ever come to MLS. I don't think Lionel Messi will ever come to MLS unless it's a big, big-time situation. But once again, um, it, I just don't see that happening uh, at all, even though Messi – let's just say I know where Messi lives in Miami when uh, I visit my mother, so <laughs> not far away. It's as far as I'm going. I'm not giving up the location, I swear. But anyway, um, yeah, that's how I see it. But still, though, you know, having Gareth Bale being on LAFC – and I and and let me ask you this: and if I'm being silly, it's okay to call me silly. Do you think he's scouting some of our American national team players for that World Cup match in uh, Qatar in November? Because I feel like this is going to be something like that as well. You don't have to reveal Messi's address. You you can message me that later. But <laughs> <laughs> as, as far as Bale uh, scouting out potential. Um, uh, you know, players for the World Cup. I mean, nothing is really off the table. So we all know when they're in their home club, they work with the team well. But once they get on that international stage, all friendliness is put aside for that match. So to have, like, Crepu, who's part of the Canadian national team, and Kevin Acosta, part of the USMNT, I'm sure there's probably some discussions going on, but they're not going to tell us. <laughs> no. No, they're not going to say a word. They're not going to give us the privy. They're not going to privy to tell us uh, what's going to happen here. But it's going to be very interesting to see how he's going to – so far, as you said, he's getting along with his teammates to the LAFC. That's a wonderful thing to see. Um, Chiellini's also getting used to his teammates as well. Uh, he's been doing – uh, wonderful things there uh, included, and I already know he's been on an ESPN soccer show, Football America. So, uh, you know, right now it's a very happy time to be an LAFC fan. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's just incredible, and I, I can't say this enough, that it really truly does feel like a dream in some sense, and just to have the opportunity to work with them, it, you never think that these things would happen, but here we are. Here we are, absolutely. So if I can get uh, your opinion on this, and I haven't really asked a lot of people. I've only had uh, two people to talk about the Apple TV deal. For yourself, and obviously we all know about Max Bredos. He's the TV voice of LAFC locally. Uh, how sad is it that you won't be calling LAFC games after the end of this regular season? 
Unfortunately, I cannot speak too much on that deal because I do not know all of the details, let alone if that particular detail of all the clubs losing their announcers is true. But if it is, I don't see Max going away, essentially speaking. I definitely see the club using his talents in some form or another, just very similar to how we have Dave Denholm, who is also the voice of LAFC. He calls the game with uh, ESPN LA. So similar to him, I I see Max still being involved. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope so. And yes, Dave Denholm is a friend of mine. Uh, I've known Dave for a long time, and I'll tell you right now, you guys are very, very lucky Excuse me, to have two solid play-by-play announcers, both on TV and radio, to finish up the season, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But definitely, uh, you guys are lucky enough to get those two guys. Well, Araceli, thank you for your time, as always. I always appreciate it, and I hope you have a good evening, and talk to you again soon. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to come on to your show and talk LESC. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Araceli Villanueva on the Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini transfers coming to the club over at the Bank of California Stadium. Next is my good friend, all the way in our nation's capital. Uh, He is a part of World Soccer Talk, as well as my D.C. United reporter. The one and only Robert Hay joins me tonight. Robert, my goodness, you're getting two (laughs) bites of the apple when it comes to Wayne Rooney now managing, well, not officially official yet, but he's coming. <laughs> you know, it's uh, first of all, Daniel, great to be back on. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and good to hear your voice uh, as usual. Um, it's funny, I was talking with a friend of mine um, recently, and I was commenting on, you know, after a, a nice run of, of, you know, great sports years in D.C., we're sort of entering a dark phase um, with all of the professional, a lot of the professional sports teams struggling in some way or another, even the Spirit last year who won a, a championship, uh, struggling this season. Um, so the the Wayne Rooney news, uh, part two, uh, Electric Boogaloo, is kind of a, a welcome, you know, welcome uh, bit of news simply because it reaffirms um, that there are that DC sports can have good things. Um, you know, like I mentioned, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more. The Spirit are struggling. DC United is uh, certainly struggling. Um, and then there was the whole World Cup being passed over for the World Cup thing. So, you know, this is um, just the fact that he's going to come back or willing to come back and be the the manager that the team needs um, right now and kind of a, a PR boost that the team certainly needs right now, I think is a very exciting thing. Um, you know, when we delve into the, you know, him and the team and a little bit more, it might get a little bit darker, but at least – you know, for the moment, uh, you know, tomorrow at Audi Field, the press conference is going to be a great, great spectacle and a great, uh, a great thing for DC Sports, and it's going to be very exciting to watch. Now, obviously, we all know uh, Rooney's attributes as a player, but you know, uh, I know you follow Arsenal in the Premier League, but you also get some Sky Sports as well to see what's going on in the entirety of the sport in England. I mean, you know, he put Derby County on the map and basically, well, they've been on the map before, but the way that he's managed them was just unbelievable. And even though it looks like they've been going through their own form of shenanigans and Rooney left, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing he decided to come back here stateside and to return to Audi Field to uh, lead the club as a manager. Yeah, I think it's important to, to look at, you know, his time at Derby County. You know, he left D.C. United to go back to England uh, at the time. There was, you know, it was uh, said that his family was struggling to adapt to D.C., which, you know, is understandable. And, you know, the, there were some changes in the team. And um, so he went back to England, got a great opportunity with Derby County, who, um, you know, as you noted, um, has been down, I mean, relatively down on their luck. I mean, you're talking about the championship. Um but uh, for a club that has, uh, you know, a pretty good history behind it and, and you know, certainly is, uh, has a place in English soccer history, um, was what they would consider a down period or at least not as successful as some of their peers have had. Um, and so comes in um, and is, you know, he's a, a part-time player, part-time coach, becomes full-time manager um, right as the club goes through a huge financial issue. Uh, with the ownership, um, the club's deducted a bunch of points. They end up going down because of that. Um, and so, you know, as, as we're seeing more and more often in English and in, in actually in European soccer and, and soccer in general, um, you know, the club runs through financial difficulties and has to, to go down to reform. And uh, obviously Wayne Rooney was not going to be a part of that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to – I think it's Steve Goff, but I apologize if it's not and if I'm stiffing somebody for their excellent reporting. But, you know, mention that um, – Wayne Rooney had been keeping in touch with, you know, D.C. United executive stateside, did help them with some scouting um, and so forth. So even though he was obviously very invested in the English game returning back here, you know, he still had his eye back in the States for potential, I guess, potential opportunities of some sort in the future. Um, I mean, if you're managing Derby County in that situation, you have to know that at some point it could all get, uh, you know, the rug pulled out under you. So, you know, keeping his options open. And so um, – you know, being uh, being out of the manager's position, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the details of how it came down, but um, obviously got an offer from D.C. United and accepted it. And uh, it was very hush-hush up until yesterday evening when, um, uh, you know, a, a bunch of D.C. reporters uh, found him at Dulles Airport. So hats off to the D.C. reporting corps. Um, and, um, you know, we, we hear about this announcement coming and the news is leaked last night. So quite – this is not something that I think – was expected. I mean, it was, it's been rumored ever since, you know, for the past couple of weeks, there's been rumors that Wayne Rooney could be a candidate. People have mentioned it, but there was always that caveat about, you know, how, why he returned to England, um, you know, the opportunities that he might get there, you know, why would he come back to the States? Um, but uh, the actual confirmation came pretty quickly. It was all of a sudden it's like, no, actually this is a thing and this is going to happen. So um, quite the interesting um, bit of intrigue with this coaching position. Oh, I agree with you there. Uh, going back to when he was playing and he came over to MLS, um, you know, as soon as Wayne Rooney signed his contract as a player, you know, I, I said to myself that if you can have him with Luciano Acosta and Paul Ariola in the front three of this club – of DC United, you're going to see a rejuvenation period like you've never had before. And let me just say this. The 3-3 draw against the New York Red Bulls at Audi Field, which I was in the press box for, that was classic New York versus DC. The, the back and forth, the, the tackling, the goals, the defense, the, the, you know, the hitting the woodwork, everything. <laughs> 
you know, I was sitting in the press box like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on? And it was just absolutely riveting. And I said to myself, this is going to be excellent until, of course, the, as you said, the family was struggling to adapt. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know, it, it's important to think back on that time. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago. It was, what, four or five years ago at this point. Um, although in pandemic time, that's about 10, 20 years. But, um, you know, D.C. United had kind of not been full participants in the in the rush to get the big names i mean you know the the we were full in on the um uh the bringing stars over from overseas and really wayne rooney was dc united's big big name at that point and so um it gave some i'll say it gave some mls 3.0 legitimacy to dc united obviously they don't uh, you know their their street cred is pretty well established by their history um but with the current iteration of of mls um, it certainly gave them some credit that they were a destination that people would want to come see. And, you know, that's followed, of course, by Audi Field opening. And, um, you know, the club, like you mentioned, Acosta Areola, um, you know, Bill Hamid getting a sniff with the national team and some other, Steve Birnbaum, some other players. You know, D.C. United became kind of a, you know, hey, this is a team we, we, we want to watch again. It is exciting, you know, get some uh, national buzz for their star power, um, you know, once again. And, um, you know, the great thing about Wayne Rooney, and, and, you know, you're right, it's it's watching him, he adjusted his game. He's a smart player. He knows what he can and can't do. And, and um, you know, he, he was obviously a good teammate and made players, certain, especially certain players around him better. And I think it was an absolute joy to just kind of watch him um, just be um, a soccer player, just to, um, you know, have a sense about him of the game and what needed to be done. And uh, you know, make others around him better. And the passion—I mean, I, we, I know we've—you and I have talked about this a number of times. It's very easy to come over to a league late in your career and just, you know, have fun and enjoy or whatever. Um, you know, he he brought a fire to his game that you know um, was certainly um, showed that he he gave a lot of uh, he cared a lot about what he was doing. And so, really, his short time in D.C. was a very exciting time. Um, I think that the club was a little bit disappointed in the results overall. I think they were hoping for a little bit more in terms of, you know, trophy runs and things like that. But I mean, overall, I, I don't think you can argue too much with um, really the, what he was able to bring in his short time. And, um, and I think that laid the groundwork again for this announcement um, tomorrow and, and why people are so excited about it. Um, you know, probably more excited than they would be if he hadn't come over here in the first place. Mm, very true there. Do you, What do you think is going to happen? What type of players are going to come over now? Not just the homegrowns at Loudoun uh, Loud United and, well, and soon to be an MLS pro next mm-hmm. next year, but, I mean, I mean uh, is he going to bring over several players from England to go play for D.C. United? Are they going to now try to find a power play to get top-notch footballers to come from England or from Europe to basically come to D.C. and let him manage them? I mean, I would like to think his name is now considered, you know, a weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you, you bring up a good point. I think it's going to be interesting to see what role he's given in the in the club. And I know that sounds like a stupid thing to say, but let me, let me explain what, what I mean here. Um, D.C. United's team-building strategy is, is kind of, over the past year plus, has been kind of, Back and forth. I mean, you had, you know, we mentioned Paul Areola. Areola is a perfect example. Um, gets spun off to, you know, a rival ML, MLS club. 
um, where you know he's excelling. He's you know on the national team radar. You know what what was the goal of doing that? Was it because the current coach you know was the current coach didn't match with his personality, his play style style of play? You know that's okay. But DC United has shed some talent over the past couple of years um, that has excelled elsewhere in MLS and um, and other um, other clubs elsewhere. While the club overall has struggled the past year and a half, and so the question becomes, you know, and, and as we had this interim between, you know, we'll say the, you know, Chad Aston era where he was an interim manager, the club was still talking about going out and getting big name players. So my question to the club really is, like, what is the identity? Are you all letting Wayne Rooney build this club? Is the front office building this club with Wayne Rooney getting, you know, is he the salesman? Is he the kind of just the PR guy that's going to – is he the, the tactics guy and the PR guy while the front office builds the, the club and brings in the players? Um, and that's, what I think, the big question is, is how much are they investing in Wayne Rooney to really build a culture in D.C.? How involved is he going to be in the youth setup? You know, you mentioned Loudoun, you know, Loudoun United um, and their team. How involved is he going to be in the local community? Is he going to be, you know, looking at all of these local clubs who are – churning out, you know, potential star, you know, well, maybe not star athletes, but certainly professionals. I mean, D.C. is a hotbed of, of um, youth soccer. You know, how, how deep does he go into the system? Um, how much of an imprint does he get on what this club is built into? And I think that's the big question. It might be somewhat answered tomorrow. It might not be. I'm leaning towards the latter. But I'd be very curious to see if, if D.C. United tries to become a team that does flash – or if it's a team that actually tries to build. You know, a couple before they even had Wayne Rooney locked up, they were talking about going after Gareth Bale. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting that this club didn't have a manager, didn't have an identity, and they were still trying to go out and get big names. And then that just speaks to me of a club that's trying to be, you know, sell jerseys and, and you know, get the their Q rating up. And is that what they're gonna to continue to be or are they gonna actually continue to try or are they gonna try and build something here? where he's going to have a major say. And we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll get a little bit of an answer tomorrow, and we'll get more of an answer, you know, the rest of the season, and then next season we'll get an even bigger answer. Yep, that's the one thing. I Unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you this question because, yep, I, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> Seven nothing against the Philadelphia Union. You, you Now, my team, the New York Red Bulls, destroyed New York City FC seven goals to nil. So I was mm-hmm. on the positive side of things, but unfortunately for you and everyone else in D.C., you were on the negative side of things. You got mm-hmm. blitzed at Subaru Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, was that – do you feel maybe that was the last straw uh, for D.C. United front office and ownership and say, that's it, we've got to get our guy, we've got to get our new guy now? Um, I think we'll know the answer to that question uh, in short order. I would not be surprised if the answer was yes. I mean, it's a pretty quick turnaround, and so uh, people will probably say no, that that didn't get this deal done. But um, I I think that certainly drove home the point that there needed to be a change and a culture change. Um, You know, we're we're doing the you know we're talking today on a day where England beat. You know, England won eight nothing in the women's Euros, and it, it just how rare that is—that kind of a beating is in, in soccer. Tells you that when that happens, it really kind of turns heads and makes you question yourself if you're on the losing end of that. So, I don't know if that was the the result that sealed the deal. I would be a little bit surprised, but not totally surprised. But I think it kind of drove home the fact that 
this this culture cannot stand. There needs to be a change and there needs to be a shakeup. And um, again, we'll see. You know, d- the other thing is DC's dealing with a bunch of injuries right now. So, um, I, you know, how quick of a change can Wayne Rooney make? Is the other thing. I mean, I know we're approaching or we're in the summer transfer window, so they can bring in players. But um, you know, it's always important to note that a manager's first transfer window, they can make an impact, but it's not a you know not often that they can do a total overhaul that changes everything. Um, so I think the culture and everything else will be built. The bases could be built this year, um, and you know, DC could still make a run at the playoffs and and. And that would help, but we'll see. I think this is going to have to be a little bit of a longer-term um, uh, culture change than what some people may think. Yeah, I agree with you there. But you forgot Australia, you know, destroying American Samoa. <laughs> that that was an embarrassment. Yes, yes, great, good book written about it though. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, no, that yep. was uh, that sets the the bar pretty high. Yes, it does. All right, Robert, listen, thanks uh, for uh, joining me tonight to talk about uh, this uh, big moment in D.C. United history. Wayne Rooney returns as a manager for D.C. United. I'll talk to you again later this week. You have a good night. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. That's Robert Hay, World Talker to Talk, as well as my D.C. United reporter, uh, talking about Wayne Rooney, now the manager, coming back to D.C. United. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, once he gets acclimated and ready to go. So it should be a lot of fun. And uh, who knows, maybe he'll bring some cachet and uh, bring back what DC United was about back in the early early years of MLS from the late 90s to the early 2000s. So we'll see what happens there. But other than that, great stuff. And now for the New York Red Bulls segment. The New York Red Bulls went to TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio to take on FC Cincinnati. And before I get to the Red Bulls, I want to get to FC Cincinnati for a moment. You can see the changes that are night and day when it comes to FC Cincinnati. They knew what they were doing. They were attacking, swarming, defending. They're doing anything and everything to get the home crowd pumping. And they absolutely did. And even though it was a 1-1 draw, and Carlos Coronel did an amazing job in goal to stop the majority of those chances... Ever since Chris Albright moved out of Philadelphia and went to FC Cincinnati as a sporting director, you can see this roster now showing what they are made of. I'm telling everyone right now, do not sleep on FC Cincinnati anymore. Unless there's major injuries on the club, FC Cincinnati is starting to climb out of the cellar. And they will be a tough out. They will be hard to play against, and they're going to give you a grind. I I really think 
adding Luciano Acosta has helped them out. Vasquez up top, Brandon Vasquez, has been a, a revelation for them. Pat Noonan, as their manager now, has been tremendous. Think about the managers that they've hired and fired after a season or two. Most of them coming from Europe. And they could not do the job. Whether they're Dutch, Australian, or English, or wherever, or whatever have you. You have Pat Noonan, who was an assistant coach, I believe, with the New England Revolution under Bruce Arena. They, Cincinnati brought him over, and look what he has done with this roster. Of course, they're getting other players from the Union, like Sergio Santos. Now he'll be a part of the Philadelphia Union. I mean, uh, he, he left the Philadelphia Union to go to FC Cincinnati. And to be honest with you, I enjoyed that match on Saturday night between the Red Bulls and FC Cincy. Because both sides were going after it really, really hard. This, my friends, is a warning to not just Red Bull fans, to the Red Bulls themselves, or to any club and any supporters of any MLS side. Not counting the Columbus crew, because we all know about that Ohio Derby. Cincy is no longer a club that can be pushed around. They're scrappy, they're fighting, they're talented, and they're going to go and try to knock you off your perch. Cincinnati is now a dangerous club in MLS. Just cannot, cannot take them for granted anymore. Now to the match. 1-1 draw. Once again, Brandon Vasquez gets the opening goal. And then Lewis Morgan converts on a penalty. Nine minutes later, in the 29th minute. And then it got chippy. And then it got personal. And then... You saw Cincinnati losing a man on double yellow. And then, of course, tempers flaring, emotions going overboard, an attempted headbutt by Acosta on Aaron Long. Two men done for the night. Cincy down to nine men. That, my friends is something they could not do Cincinnati, and they did so. And I don't blame Gerhard Struber for the amount of fouling Lukinas is getting over and over and over again. It's not about just being knocked down. It's about taking studs to the ankles, chopped down from behind, the referees are not protecting the star players. And, you know, when you saw in that second half, Cruz, shoulder, 
shoving down Lukinas, and he slid into Gerhard Struber by the bench. You were hoping that not only Lukinas was good, but Gerhard Struber was fine, and both the men were, so thank goodness for that. Unfortunately, they couldn't get that second goal, the Red Bulls. They uh, dropped two points, but you know what? Give Cincinnati credit. They played some spectacular defense, and they made sure their goalkeeper just was not being harassed all match long. Once again, you must know and must understand Cincinnati is no longer a pushover, and they're ready to uh, plant their flag into the Eastern Conference. That is for sure. But also this. Many people in Cincinnati questioning of the penalty foul against Cincinnati as John Tolkien got fouled either near or just on the edge of the area. Once there's a body part inside the 18-yard box, and Chip Messing has said this as well, the analyst for the Red Bulls on MSG Network, the line is a part of the area. So if he has a pinky toe on that chalked line, that's a penalty. Whether you like it or not, it's a penalty, and that was deserving of a penalty. And the Red Bulls were able to tie the match at one. But once again, more should have uh, happened for the Red Bulls when you go down, uh, when you are going up a, a man. And still, though, it's been. Very, very hard when you have a game like this where Cincinnati's defense really was solid and they were trying to attack with those players. Once again, you still have your forwards. You lose a midfielder. You have your forwards. You have your defensemen. You're still in good shape. If you lose a defenseman, then you're in rough shape. That's how it is. And all I can tell everyone is this. Gerhard Struber, now that it's official, that you can use five substitutes in the game, FIFA has um, amended the law for substitutions from three to five. I think Gerhard Struber needs to get more out of his bench to force that opportunity to get that second goal. He really had to, but unfortunately he did not. So I think that's the one thing he needs to to do is to really use all of the substitutes in those three separate windows of when he can make a sub or not. He's He needs to at least make four or five. Because as of right now, I don't think three was enough. Got to get more. Got to get more and get more out of your bench players. And who knows? 
Maybe Serge Nagoma found, would find another way to get a second goal of his young career. But we'll just worry about that later. So before we say goodnight, Red Bull fans, um, here is the schedule for the rest of July. This coming Sunday, the Hudson River Derby comes back to Red Bull Arena for league action. 5 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. And then the following Sunday, they're on the road in Austin, Texas, over at the Q2 against Austin FC. That's at 8 o'clock Eastern time starts, 7 o'clock Central. Then they travel to Orlando, Florida, to take on Orlando City at Explora Stadium in the U.S. Open Cup semifinals. And then they face Barcelona in a friendly on Saturday, July the 30th. And then, of course, the rescheduled Colorado Rapids home game on August the 2nd. So a lot of games, a lot of matches. Hopefully they can advance into the Open Cup final. They'll have to wait and see who they'll face and where to perform the final. If it's Sacramento, it comes to Red Bull Arena. If it's Sporting Kansas City, they go back to Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City, Kansas. Big moment, big time, and we shall see what will happen here for the New York Red Bulls. But other than that, this was a very good show tonight. I want to thank my guests tonight, Araceli Villanueva on the Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini transfers, Robert Hay, Wayne Rooney now the manager of DC United. Join me next Monday for another great show to talk about American soccer. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Good night, everybody.